too late now to forget your smile. Awesome. Are you I kidding? Really the way I have been waiting for this <laughs> Coming up on Verse Chorus Verse, Carrie Kirkland is here. We are going to discuss the in and outs of the critically acclaimed Beach Boys masterpiece that is Kokomo, right? <laughs> oh, you're great. You are great. You're just. I'm kidding. The best. That's next. Welcome to episode 41 of Verse Course Verse. I am DL and with me is the Carrie Kirkland. If you listen to this podcast, you've already heard her. You're going to hear it again on the intro. Shot in the dark, I'm assuming you're going to let us play your music for this episode, Carrie. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> we'll I know see. a guy. Come on. <laughs> okay, good. Good. I don't know what we're going to talk about tonight. There's not much to say about Carrie mm. other than what jazz singer, trapeze artist, aerialist, private chef, <laughs> and owner of the most important award in music history. Of course, I'm talking about a two thumbs up review by David Liston. It was close though. I know. I know. <laughs> I know Sven was on the fence. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was on eggshells the whole morning I watched. I listened to it. I was like, oh, what's it going to be? And there it was. No, we both really liked it. I really enjoy the album. I have it behind me. I listen to it again tonight. It's it's so good to just chill to, which is Thank you. nowadays so needed. And you've got the vinyl. Yeah, I've got a great vinyl. I got the vinyl for free. <laughs> That's how we met. Yeah. A couple of Sven and David jokes on your Instagram page. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now let's start that because... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to get this out of the way because I saw, I don't know if it was a post that you posted or something. Mm -hmm. Did you get married on a reality show? I wish it was an ugly rumor, but it is actually true. You really did? I really, really did. And wow. yeah, I don't regret it because... <laughs> It's a thing that happened in your life that you can talk about for the rest of your life. Like, yeah, I got married on the show. And there's also proof, right? So if anybody tries to renege in the relationship, it's like, no, that actually, that's a, it's on tape. So it's, it's irrefutable proof that there was a marriage that occurred. Knowing what I know now about the industry and about, I mean, about entertainment industry in general, it wasn't something that I would necessarily do now. If I was going to think about getting married again, all of that said, nothing about our wedding or our our relationship was traditional. So really, honestly, it fit. It worked. What was the show called? What was the show? <laughs> it's a TLC show called Four Weddings, where four women meet random. Now I think they do it with all friends, which is just weird. Back then, it was random people who did not know each other, who had never met. And you all went to each other's weddings and you um, you have to vote on each other's weddings. So it's really hard to stomach because you actually have to 
tell someone, oh, this was great, but this wasn't so great. Yeah. And, you know, it's their wedding. And the producers were, you know, trying to push some buttons, which was fun. But the four of us, we all agreed sort of behind the scenes that we weren't going to talk shit about each other and we weren't going to go there. So we... Now, did that actually happen? Did one person actually be like, eh. For the most part. <laughs> <laughs> you have to watch the episode to see. I think it's on Hulu. It is? I think so. I think so. I should have watched that for research. It's a shame that you didn't because you could have seen me. They called it a reverse cougar situation because my husband's older than me. So um, <laughs> it was like, you didn't see me flipping through the air into my... It's bullshit. But it's We're fine. Gonna... <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. These are all like traditional weddings for the most part. But I mean, we got married at the circus that we owned and we owned a circus school and a Didn't venue. You meet from, like, I think I read something that you were mm -hmm. taking lessons or It was my first something? lesson. I didn't set out to do it for myself. I set out because my friend wanted to do that for her birthday and no one would go with her. And I thought, how terrible is that? And I said, yeah, I'll do that. Let's go do that. He caught me in midair on my first trick. I mean, that that was it because there's this moment of connection when you're doing flying trapeze between a flyer and a catcher that is, it sounds kind of corny, but it's extremely powerful because it's 100% trust. If a dude caught me out of midair, <laughs> I would marry him. You'd marry him yeah. too. <laughs> you would. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> you would. Yeah. We got married one year to the day later and did flying trapeze an hour before we actually said our vows. The point of the story is that Carrie is not a very boring person. Pretty <laughs> obvious why we'd want to have her on to talk. Basically, this is just going to be kind of a hybrid of an episode. Carrie is a listener for some reason. Uh, <laughs> she's she's also been featured. We did review her album that is currently out, Wild is the Wind, and we're going to talk about that again tonight, which is a great album that at this point, now that I've listened to it more, and I guess we'll talk about this further down the line, but I almost feel like just calling it a jazz album is pigeonholing it a little too much because I think it's more than that. A little. Yeah. And then we're also going to talk about some influences that <laughs> Carrie made the mistake of I asked about influences and she sent me a list and she doesn't realize that that means we're going to have to talk about every single one. So that's Yay! what we're doing. She says screaming. Before we get into that, I have to talk about the most important part of the night. And I hadn't seen your drink until now, it looks very pretty. What are okay, you drinking so, tonight? David, I have to say, it is such a shame that we did not do this last weekend because then I could have actually had a drink that had alcohol in it. But um, I am yeah. not allowed to drink alcohol right now for the next few months. So I had to reluctantly make a mocktail. Just the fact that it has the word mock in its name, <laughs> it says so much. You know, I enjoy a cocktail. I really do. <laughs> and uh, this is a passion fruit, sparkling grapefruit, mocking me tail. I went a little bit simple tonight, but actually pretty similar to you. I am drinking a Greyhound. I've been oh, big dang. on, I've been big on the grapefruit juice lately. So mm -hmm. I just went Greyhound tonight. I love that. I love a good Greyhound. We have grapefruit mm. trees in the backyard, so it can do that fresh. It's pretty great. Yeah, that's not fair. Yeah, I'm off the sauce. You've got something very, very big and amazing in the works. You mm -hmm. should talk about it. I think people should know. Thanks. Yeah, it's 
pretty exciting, but it's also a little bit scary. I have a really good friend in Seattle who has been on dialysis for eight years, and he's also a musician. He's really incredible. They're called Surrealized, and he does a lot of programming. And What kind of band are they? Again, it would be hard to pigeonhole them into a genre. I wish I had their elevator pitch because <laughs> I, it's like really hard. It's, it's kind of electronica, but it's also lots of looping and live instruments and live vocals over top of it's cool stuff it's really sounds cool. up my and alley i think you would really like it actually just based on having listened to all of your episodes um i so flattered <laughs> surrealized <laughs> no, that's the that's the name of the surrealized band? yeah they played at our circus wedding Rob uh, has been on dialysis for eight years and finally got put onto the donor registry, which I guess is really more difficult than a lot of people understand. Uh, a lot of tests and a lot of what ifs. And he got put on the donor list in January. He found out there were 97,000 people on the list ahead of him. And they said, the only way you can actually get a kidney in a hurry... <laughs> which should be a band name, Kidney in a Hurry. <laughs> the only way you can do that is to get what's called a directed donation. And so Rob and his wife, Lynn, put out the call on Facebook, at which point I knew, oh man, this is bad because they have downplayed how serious it is forever. Oh. And I looked at my husband and I said, would this be crazy? And he said, yeah, but you're going to do it anyway. And that's, yeah. that's yeah. great. So, <laughs> and so I decided to get tested and... When I got tested, they asked Rob and I if there was any chance that we were related because they said the match was so pure, it was essentially like a sibling match. Wow. And yeah, at that point, I was like, there's no way I can't. I'm going to donate my left kidney to my friend Rob. That's happening in 10 days. That's incredible. Uh, if you weren't a fan of Carrie <laughs> before that... You are now, or if you're not, then I don't know what the hell, then you shouldn't be listening to this podcast. You <laughs> yeah, you're not a very good person. So Aww. this well. is, we're going to talk about this and more tonight. Really excited. Uh, once again, like I said, the music that we're going to be playing during this episode is Carrie Kirkland's own. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to be back with more Carrie. Welcome to your life. There's no turning back. Even while we sleep, we will find you acting on your best behavior. All right, Turn we are back. Carrie Kirkland. First thing I want to ask you about is the music industry. It seems like your path would have been a little bit different than a, a lot of people's. I'm always interested in independent artists, particularly like Wild is the Wind, which is a great album with... <laughs> an amazing mind-blowing people that you got to work on this even the vinyl is such a well-packaged deal mm. things like that are not easy for indie artists to do so walk me through that a little bit it's kind of a miracle that it all happened because i did my first radio commercial when i was four and my parents were both musicians and so music was always around it was always there what kind of musicians were your parents they ran the gamut my dad was a composer and a pianist and a bassist my mom was a singer still is kind of whatever would pay the bills that's the that's the thing about doing music is that if you can't pay the bills you know you obviously you get a day job you get a night job you get any job it doesn't magically just happen that you can make money 
doing music. I've always been overly responsible and I left home at a pretty young age. I kind of vowed to myself that I'm going to be okay. I'm going to make it. And so the day job always did come first. Uh Music was always there, but the day job was always the, the thing. So I didn't always work in music. I worked in film and television. I've worked as an admin. I've worked at freaking pottery barn and Starbucks. I've done all those things. You know, I worked in management consulting. I was a private chef and then, you know, moved into the circus life and music was in the background and it was easy to sort of translate into the circus life simply because that's entertainment as well. It's a, an art form that calls for music. So a lot of the times I would do the music live to circus shows, collab with local artists in Seattle or bring artists up from LA. And, you know, I would have a really heavy hand in the musical side of the productions. Mm -hmm. But it was my husband who said, you know, this is crazy. Like you need to do this. You actually need to do this. I just kind of pushed it off. Uh He didn't tell me this, but he emailed Shelly Berg who's the dean at the Frost School of Music in Miami, he started looking on Spotify for for pianists, like instrumentalists. and Like just by chance? He just no chose joke. Shelley Berg? People he, that, I'm sure a lot of people don't know Shelley Berg, but Shelley Berg, that's a name. We're talking Grammy-winning artist. He's composer and he makes the joke yeah i'm i'm the best piano player that you've never heard of (laughs) (laughs) you know he he's so humble and he's so when i say this word i say it quite literally with no pretense it's like he is a genius he's a musical genius he's prodigy so my husband gary he heard him play and in our relationship he's the big idea guy here's point a and there's point b And we're going to get there somehow. And I'm the one who goes, yeah, but there's like how many million steps between A and B? So we work really well together. So he hunts him down online, finds his email, emails him and says, I know you probably hear this a lot, but my wife is a really good singer. And (laughs) I would like to know if you would be interested in making a record with her. (laughs) Oh, it's so embarrassing to even say it because I mean... (laughs) Who does that? And That's really funny. <laughs> uh, it's awful. It's so cringy. Shelly wrote back to him and said, I'm willing to meet with you. Sight unseen. There's no demo. There's no nothing. Nothing was sent. At which That's point crazy. my husband had to say, um, so we have to go to Miami. <laughs> so eventually it all spills out. And I was angry because, you know, I'm like, how dare you go behind my back and, and do this? And he's like, well, you weren't going to do it. Yeah. We go to Miami. Shelly was nominated for a Grammy that year. So he was actually flying back from the Grammys the night that we got to his house. Mm-hmm. So we got to his house and his wife was there, but he wasn't. And so that's not awkward. His flight kept getting delayed. So we were supposed to meet at like six and now it's... So you're just hanging out with his wife for like three hours. No, it's almost midnight and she's waiting up for us and he's not there. And the taxi broke down on the way there. And the entire time I'm like, yeah, this is so not going to happen. Like, this is ridiculous. Why? Why are we even here? What are we doing? Mm -hmm. So Shelly shows up. We sit in his living room and eventually... Shelly's just like, um, okay, so what are we doing here? And I said, well, maybe you would like to make a demo with me. <laughs> you know, I was just <laughs> such a loser. I was like, um, uh. so, 
So he goes, well, why don't we play something? And so he sits down at his grand piano in the Just middle like of the right room, right there, you know, and and oh. and his wife and my husband get up and kind of go to the kitchen to give us our space. And by now it's 1.30 in the morning. And at this point I'm like, I have nothing to lose. And so I start singing and he's like, okay, let's do something else. And he goes, what are you thinking of for the demo? And I was like, well, there's this song that I really love and it's called Wild is the Wind. And of course it was a Bowie song and Bowie was also nominated for a Grammy that year and he won and Shelly didn't, which is like the biggest bummer ever because then <laughs> I, like he's just gotten home from the Grammys and, and I'm suggesting a Bowie song, which is like bleh, knife in the throat. He says, well, let me listen to it. <laughs> he literally just types it out on his phone, pulls it up, listens to it one time, and then uh -huh. he goes, okay, let's let's do it. And we did it. And he just played it. He's like, okay, um, yeah, we should all get some sleep and uh, let's make a record. In my, you know, artist brain, which is so unlike the other side of me that's the type A, the artist is like cowering, going, waiting for the blow. Like, yeah, the conversation that says you've got a lot of potential and I think mm -hmm. if you keep at it and instead he said yeah let's I think what he said was the thing that happened next is he said all right send me the songs that you want to do uh-huh and so I sent him a couple songs and he's like yeah this works this works now this one let's find something else and I just kept sending him songs until we had six all the while I'm like how is this gonna work and he's arranging you know for all the players and everything he says, okay, here's when the session's going to be and here's who's going to be in it. And at that point, I'm pretty sure that my entire brain exploded all over the white <laughs> wall of my apartment. He got all the musicians together? He handpicked every single person Man. for this project that he was doing, you know, based on three songs that we sang in his living room at two in the morning. And what year was this? This was 2016. So it's been a while. It's been a long while. One of the things that I didn't catch when we first reviewed this album that I caught while studying this time is that Roy Hargrove is on this album. Indeed. The late Roy Hargrove, who yes. if you've if you've never heard, listen to him now because he's freaking incredible. We're not talking just underground, you know, really good artists. Like Roy well, Hargrove I, is a name. I will say that um, that's the only person that Shelly didn't pick for the really? album. Yes, because I was in Seattle at Jazz Alley watching Roy's last set and I went to the restroom afterwards. And if you know Jazz Alley, you know that the women's restroom is conveniently right next to the green door. Yeah. I was coming out of the restroom and Roy was coming out of the green room and we pretty much walked into each other. And it was that moment of like, okay, do you pull up your big girl pants now and talk to this person? Or do you just <laughs> sort of go, oh, you were great. Bye. We talked about music. We just, it was a brief conversation. But at the end of it, I said, so I know this is, sounds crazy, but um, is there any chance that you would be willing to play on my album? And in another magical cinematic moment, Roy Hargrove looks me in the eye and he kind of looks down and he shakes his head a little bit and he's like, yeah, man. Yeah. Just uh, <laughs> talk to my manager, um, Larry. He's out there. Let's set it up. <laughs> and it was about, I don't know, two or three months after that, that we were in a studio in New Jersey and Roy's playing on my album. And he played on two tracks. We ended up just using one of them. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted it to be really special. I didn't necessarily want it to be like a repeat thing. I just yeah. wanted it to yeah. be like a little guest star thing. 
just the fact that it's Roy Hargrove is like mind blowing. But then the fact that again, it's someone else who had this sort of blind faith in me for no reason. I'm hoping that like in some other life, I like helped a lot of old people or (laughs) babies or puppies or something. It's like I'm getting some kind of karmic retribution in a good way. Well, your vibe is so, I mean, one of the things that I love about the album that I talked about when, when we talked about it is it's so typical in that style of music to overdo things. Mm-hmm. You as an artist just have so much more of a vibe than a trying to do something. And I think people are very attracted to that. It's always fun to listen to somebody that can do just insane things, but I will take somebody that you can just feel is really into it anytime over that. That's that's great. You do get that from your album immediately. And I'd imagine that hanging out talking with you, same exact oh, thing. Thank you. That's that's kind. I think I don't know if it's age or if it's experience. I have been told that I have a, a calmness that allows people to feel comfortable. But when it came to the vocals on Wild as the Wind, I owe so much of that to Shelly because I think I did go in thinking that I had to be more, I had to be extra, I had to do the vocal gymnastics, I had to do all those things. And there were so many times where he would come in and basically say, don't gild the lily. The music is great. You know, the foundation is there. Tell the story. The why is there. Get inside that. Try to translate this story into a vocal invitation. You can tell a story in 10 words or you can tell a story in 10,000 pages and yeah. and really break yeah. it down to the most base, sort of the most accessible and the most relatable. Sing it how you would sing it if you were singing it to your mom or, you know, it's just, it's just keeping it very, very in the moment, not thinking about it being an album, just thinking about it being this story. It's something that helps make it so real. A lot of these songs are, I don't know if you gravitated towards them because of the sound or because of what they're actually about, but there is a lot of, I don't want to say forbidden love, but love. Unrequited. There you go. Unrequited, or maybe even at times, not the smartest thing in the world type of thing. I'm sure it's not just me, but when I am hearing someone singing about stuff like that, I don't want a big, (laughs) loud, booming. It's just much more real when somebody is more... Vulnerable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Being vulnerable is scary to most people. Most people find that to be, you know, difficult in public speaking or difficult in personal relationships. And for me, it became the most important thing about this album, making sure that you can have those moments and you can dissect it as a singer or or as a musician and saying, oh, well, she's going into head voice here or she's going into chest voice here. Or whatever. And you can get really kind of technical about it, which is great. That's fine. But for me, when I listen back to it now, I think, oh my gosh, that was that moment that I was thinking about my grandfather and that is what came out, you know, or this is the moment that I was thinking about that X or that whoever it is. That's where I can hear the meat of the song come out mm-hmm. because it, I was connecting the words with an actual experience or an experience that was cultivated to get it 
in that mood and in that vibe. I don't know if you knew this or not, but people are pretty obsessed and maybe a little bit psychotic when it comes to music. What? We get a little into nah. it, but people can smell that. People know when somebody is doing that. Yep. When somebody's actually giving themselves to it like that, you can tell. Uh, I'll tell you the more I listen to it, the more I like it. Oh, when I thought about doing Do It Again, you know, which is the opening track. Mm -hmm. I told Shelly about it. And of course, everybody in the back of their mind hears Celia and like, back, Jack, do it again. And I'm like, and I told them straight up, I'm like, no, <laughs> end of the night. And I mean, the end, end of the night, you got whiskey in hand. Yeah. You know, whereas secret is I've had someone describe it to me as the dancing barefoot in the kitchen at midnight <laughs> with your love in the kitchen. There's a sense on this album that... It does take that sultry vibe of nighttime. It's not really like a good morning, everybody. You know, it's it's no, not your drive time. It's, well, <laughs> I think that's what most jazz blues in this style. Mm -hmm. It's sensual mm -hmm. stuff. It always has. It's a it. quiet. It's an introspective album. It's it is nice to have that and just kick back. Not with a mocktail. Or if that's your vibe, yes, do that. Yeah, I guess. Do that. Carrie, if you've listened to episodes, you know that I'm a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. So you had to expect something like this coming. <laughs> do you have a favorite song on Wild is the Wind? Yes. Um, I think my favorite song is Secret. I say I, I say I think that because it is so close with Wild. They're really neck and neck and it depends on where I'm at. Wild for me, it was what instigated everything for this album. It was the, mm -hmm. it's the anchor of the album and I love it. And every time I hear it, I love it. I love it. I love it. But lately, especially every time I hear Secret, I'm like, oh gosh, this is good. Partially because it's vibe. I just have this feeling when I hear it. It's the real sleeper. It's the one song that no one is expecting. It's just a cool song. I tell you, Dean Parks crushed it on that song. Yeah. I mean, his, yeah. his it's so restrained. It's just this dude with a guitar. You sit down and you think, God, I wish somebody would have written that song about me or something. <laughs> it is all feel. You hinted a little bit at the fact that you played some bar bands. Mm -hmm. Like how young were you when you started doing stuff like that? Uh, when I started playing out, I was 19. And in my 20s, I moved to Europe. You did four years in four Europe? Four years in Europe. And so I played with a couple of people there. But the, the person I played the most with was a keyboard player named Aiden. And he, he and I did countless gigs together. I would say in my late twenties, when I started feeling like, oh, this could be a viable option, you know, as, as a career. And then yeah. ended getting, ended up getting transferred back to Vancouver. So it ended very suddenly, but I also ended up going back over to Europe and we, we wrote and recorded an EP in a cottage in York. He ended up coming to Seattle and we recorded an EP in... What style of music? Very folky. We ended up recording at London Bridge in Seattle, which people know it's where like Pearl Jam's 10 was was recorded. Yeah. I mean, a lot of iconic. So this, you know, folk duo comes walking in and, you know, we're like... That's awesome. And so I played keys on that and he played guitar and we brought in... Um, we had a guy from the Fleet Foxes, we had a guy from Modest Mouse, and we had um, we met a fantastic violin player as well, and who was local at the time. It didn't blossom into anything bigger than that, but lots of different styles, anything from traditional like wedding party stuff. I've done everything in between, I think, just to have fun. I hear the sound of mandolin. 
kind of a one-liner that you dropped that I don't think many people have ever heard before, but you mentioned that you and your husband owned a circus. We did. How the, how the hell does that even, how does that happen? (laughs) So, yeah, so he started this school in Seattle and he had gone through a pretty rough divorce, ended up going to Club Med. And mm-hmm. somebody grabbed him, speaking Patois, and was with this very mysterious world and said, come on, you're going to come do trapeze. And he's like, wait, no, no, I'm going sailing. And they're like, no, 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 come on, come on, you're, you're, <laughs> you're going to do trapeze. He was immediately hooked. He was like, this is literally life-changing. This is the thing that I need to be doing. He was living in Montana at the time. His best friend lived in Seattle and he called him up and said, I need you to find a building with 40 foot ceilings that's at least 120 feet long. And his friend was like, uh, okay, anything else? And he's like, no, that's it, just that. And so his friend went online and found this warehouse in, you know Mm -hmm. what I'm talking about. If you don't know Seattle. Soto Mojo. Yeah, like a mile and a half from the stadium. He never even saw it, never saw the building. This is the guy he is. Like, this is why Wild as the Wind exists. Because this is Emailing him Shelley saying, yeah, yeah, can you have him? He just kind of had, again, this blind faith of this is going to work. It's got to work. This is amazing. If you've ever done flying trapeze, you know. What like, is it about trapeze? What is it about? There's a freedom to it that you don't have with other sort of daredevil sports because you're 100% in control the whole time. You're holding on to this bar, you know, and everything you do on that bar, it's up to you. But the other thing about it, too, and which which I found especially intriguing as as someone who needs to be in control all the time is that there is the moment where you make the catch and all of a sudden it's the trust Mm. that that other person will be there and that they will catch you as safely as they can get you back to the platform. And in that moment, there's a letting go. That's not my thing. I don't think. <laughs> no, and it's not everybody's thing, that's for sure. But there's a such a freedom, yeah. and especially for people who have that, I've got to do things my way all the time. It's like, no, you got to let that go. Mm-hmm. Then in 2020, when the whole entire world shut down, I said, to my husband, hey, you remember that thing we did five years ago? Remember that album that we made? <laughs> yeah. So and, what happened? Because you, yeah. you had said 2016 is kind of when this started. What yeah. what happened? This just came out, uh, how long ago now? February uh, 2021. Yeah. So it's, I mean, mm-hmm. it's half a year old. We did the first songs, the first six songs in May of 2016. When we finished that session, pretty much everyone in the room just kind of looked at each other and said, this needs to be something bigger than just an EP or a demo. It's, it's, it's good. So we committed to doing six more songs to make it a 12 song album. Um, and we couldn't record until November of 2016 and didn't actually end up doing the vocals until 2017, but it was in the can basically. Mm -hmm. And just Honestly, with work at the circus being what it was, we started taking on bigger and bigger events with bigger and bigger companies. And especially with the boom in Seattle, all of those companies needed places to have Christmas parties and launch parties and product parties. And they all loved this idea that we included a flying trapeze show. It just got to be crazy busy and yeah you know how it is like when you got to make hay while the sun shines and you got to yeah. do what's paying your bills and so 
once again, you know, I kind of just said, eh, let's put this on the back burner. You know, we'll figure it out. Everybody handled it in different ways in their own way. But for me, I had to just sit myself down and say, are you seriously going to risk this beautiful thing that you did not reaching anyone else? Like, yeah. how stupid is that? Stop caring if the jazz police are going to shit all over it. It's like, <laughs> stop thinking that. Have you gotten a lot of feedback on it? Yeah. Predominantly yeah, I mean, positive? How How's the feedback been? I would say my worst review came from Sven. So, oh, yeah, no. let's go with that. <laughs> Oh, Sven. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, no, I'm not. I'm not kidding. Um, Sven's going to hear this and he's going to cry into his pillow. It's okay. He likes <laughs> Olivia Rodrigo. That's that's great. Thanks, yeah, Sven. I'd, You're cool. Hey. Love you. I expected like, oh, the reviews are coming in. And I'm not kidding. Like I read the first review with my eyes almost shut all the way. Like if I don't really look at it, is it, it can't be yeah. that bad. And then it was like glowing and it was more nice things than have ever been said were awesome. said and, and I couldn't believe it. And then Jazz Times named it their editor's pick for oh, wow. April. Awesome. You know, you send this stuff out and you just don't know like what's yeah. going to happen yeah. with it. And when I opened the magazine and it's in this little blue box and it says editor's pick and it's above John Batiste and I'm just like, what? <laughs> Wait, What? What? The self-doubt and the imposter syndrome are real, real things. So that happened. And then my person that I'm working with on radio promotion said, we've got a real opportunity to cross over into AC for this. So, mm. and it hit on Billboard and yeah, made it's it been to, on there for, it was on for four weeks, but three weeks in the top 30. I actually unpacked my billboard plaque this afternoon while my really? mom was here <laughs> and it arrived oh, at the door so cool. and it was so cool. It is a lot of work. It's hours and hours yeah. and you know how that goes. Yeah. What you guys are doing is insane. Yeah, it's a little insane. I don't know that the two compare. You are really putting yourself out there when you do what you did. Are you eventually going to be able to do any sort of touring or uh, live shows or local live shows or things like that? Is that something that you, you want to do? I do enjoy performing live. It's the excitement, you know, that you crave. The challenge is it's generally that it has to be subsidized. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't want to put something out that doesn't represent to me what the best is for that moment. So Playing out means I'm hiring musicians that cost more than gigs are paying. Yeah. But the joy of playing out, I've missed a lot. What I think I would love to focus on more than just sort of playing random things here and there is, is festivals. Because I think that's a good fit. Absolutely. New album, do you already know the songs that are going to be on it? Do you know? Oh, yes. Has it been worked on? So Shelly visited me in the desert here in June. And then we got on email and just started sending ideas back and forth. And mm -hmm. feels like way more of a collaboration this time. We're just both more invested, I think, because of the success of the first album. Yeah, we've landed on a lot of songs and they are all ready. We go into the studio in five days. So for the third day, we've got an incredible bass player named Carlito Del Porto, who's coming in. Um, he'll do probably four songs on Friday with us. So we will have two different bass players on this album, but everybody else is going to be the same. 
and it's Shelly on piano and organ and whatever else we get him to do. And it's Dean Parks on guitar again. If you don't know Dean Parks, go to All Music or, you know, wherever you find your credits. And <laughs> yeah, Dean is the man. It's Kevin <laughs> for the first two days and then Carlitos for the for the third. Brian Kilgore on percussion. Brian's played on pretty much every movie and TV show you've ever heard of. Everything from Family Guy to Star Wars. Like he's done it. So and then um, the legendary Peter Erskine on drums. Yeah. Played with Weather Report and mm -hmm. uh, I don't even know. I like it. Don't yeah. have words. It's insane. <laughs> and I've never met Peter, but he came on board because Shelly said, you know, come on board. <laughs> so he's, there are many, many more contemporary songs than there are jazz standards on this one. Do you know what it's going to be called? Yeah, I do. It's going to be called Come to Your Senses. Is Come to Your Senses a song on the album? It is not. <laughs> All right. It is this idea and it is pandemic inspired. A lot of the times when people throw phrases around, they don't always understand the true meaning of them. A lot of the times when somebody says to you, come to your senses, man. It's kind of like snap out of it. Yeah. For me, this idea of coming to your senses, it is about actually living in the moment and being aware and alive and accepting that we cannot control everything all the time. So you might as well come to your senses and experience life in complete fullness. The songs reflect that, but it's more about the attitude. That's awesome. I'm really yeah. excited to hear some stuff from it. Yeah. Wild as the Wind, there was a, sorry, I don't remember where I saw this. Mm -hmm. I don't remember if it was in the liner notes. There were three influences named off. Nancy Wilson, who I'm guessing, your heart Nancy Wilson, is that? No. Or jazz, jazz singer yes. Nancy Wilson? Okay, so 1960s jazz singer Nancy Wilson. Yes, masquerading. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. You know, you spent nope. time in Seattle, so You're right. I was like... You're right. What is it about Nancy Wilson, who was, it was an incredible jazz singer? She actually, didn't she just die recently? Like yeah. Like a couple years ago? Mm-hmm, yeah. So she was listed as one of your big influences. Eva Cassidy... Mm -hmm. who that's another just fascinating story yes. as a person. What did she live to be like 30 or something like that? I don't know exactly how old she was when she died, but yeah, it was way too young and a completely undiscovered talent who got turned down by record albums because she didn't fit yeah. the mold. Not and at all. Yeah. Yeah. And so she did, her, yeah, she did songs that cross genres and they couldn't, they couldn't put her in a box. Her, Nancy Wilson mm -hmm. and Julie London, who mm -hmm. Julie London is 40s. No, I'd say she's more 50s. Julie London, Eva Cassidy, Nancy Wilson. Mm -hmm. What is it about them three? They were of a time where women were perceived in a certain way and women should be pretty and quiet and obedient and all the things that are complete crap and... <laughs> not not applicable today at all and shouldn't have been then but I digress <laughs> they had this honest way of tapping into kind of a sultriness especially with Julie London like a very sultry kind of under the radar sexuality that mm -hmm. it was less about being this kitten of you know the jazz world and more about being this truly subversive, I'm going to get right to the point and yeah. this is how it's going to be. And Nancy Wilson, same thing. I mean, she just, she had such a purity and an honesty and those things ring true for me in a time that must have been so difficult to be a performer and a, and a female performer. And I hate saying the word female performer because it just sounds dumb, but it's like it being a performer 
of that era. Eva Cassidy for me, if I could pick a mentor, you know, she she's it. She didn't care that no one would sign her. She didn't care that her music couldn't get out there. She just needed to do it. Yeah. There's nothing too foggy, but I always thought you'd come back. Tell me all you found was heartbreak and misery. The rest of the pod. Carrie sent me a list. I had a little question about influences, and Carrie sent me a list. And Carrie, we're going to go through these individually, each and every one. I'm so and I'm going to make you tell me what you like about these. I'm going to start with what sounded like might be your biggest influence, not including the three we just talked about. But yeah. Kate Bush, you're a little bit of a fan of Kate Bush. Tiny, tiny, tiny bit. You cited specifically uh, This Woman's Work, mm-hmm. which is a song by by Kate off of what album? Uh, it's Sensual, Sensual World. World. I think it's one of those songs that nobody thinks they know it, but the second you hear it, you go, oh, okay, okay, I know that song. Mm-hmm. I first heard Kate Bush when I was 18. The thing that struck me was the purity of her voice. She was able to create these characters out of nowhere for her music. You can go back and look at her videos and Saturday Night Live performances, and she's wearing a leotard, and you know, in one album cover, she's in a lion's mane, and she just yeah. she really took being her own character to the absolute pinnacle. I mean, for me. I'm a huge fan of Melody. I get hooked. It's evident by the list that you gave me. (laughs) Melody? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm a sucker for good Melody. You and I have fairly similar tastes. Really? In a lot of ways. A lot of this list is very, it's all about the writing, Mm -hmm. not the hook, but the way that the artist delivers it. Mm -hmm. You don't listen to it and go, wow, how did they do that? You listen to it and you go, that song is so brilliantly written. Yep. That song's amazing. The next one, which in some regards similar, but in, in other regards, I think it's everybody loves Joni Mitchell mm. because, she, well, if you don't love Joni Mitchell, then I don't, yeah, once again, I, what are you doing? <laughs> but you cited uh, All I Want, which is off of the Blue Album, which, yeah. I mean, if you don't own the Blue Album, you should own the Blue Album. <laughs> Somebody left a cassette tape at our house uh, of Blue and it cut off the last about five minutes of the album, and I, I, I would mourn that. Well, it was a was cassette, it like a recorded right? cassette. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was like a cassette tape, and I would think I was twelve, <laughs> and so I will forever know like everything except the end of Blue the last by five heart. Minutes of- <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like, damn it, she used all this crazy open tuning and and did all these things yeah. where she didn't even know what the chords were, but she just knew the music was inside her and had to get out of her. So again, it's it comes down to like the lyrical content of telling the story. She just, Joni Mitchell can turn a phrase in a way that allows you to visualize it instantly. I want to knit you a sweater. I want to write you a love letter. I want to make you feel better. I want to make you feel free. She evokes a feeling instantaneously. Okay, next is one that I knew who he was, but I had never heard this song and I fucking love it. Oh. Red Guitar by David <gasps> oh, Sylvian. Oh God, David Sylvian. Um, oh. So David Sylvian's great. I had never heard this song. I love it. It's yeah. This song is awesome. It's this great 80s. You got a lot of 80s in you, Carrie. Yeah, I'm sorry. There's a, no, that's, it's not a bad thing. It's like 80s avant-garde jazz <laughs> meets like 80s pop. It's really hard to explain. Yeah. If you haven't heard the song, the song is great. 
from the very first time I heard David Sylvian, I was enthralled. First of all, his voice is incredible. It's yes. so unique. There, you know, there's nobody that sounds like him. The poetry is so intricate and beautiful and mournful and dark. And, uh, you know, it's he is one really not fun at a party person, I think. I get the sense. <laughs> maybe he is. Maybe I'm totally wrong. But um No, I think you're right. I think a lot of the year Broody. <laughs> you have some broody people on here. Yeah. Terry. But yeah. for me, red guitar, I, it caught me instantly because of those chord changes and because of the harmonics and because mm-hmm. I love me a fretless bass anytime, any day. You know, it's it, there are certain sounds that just evoke a warmth and a and a fullness and a richness and you, you can't get around that. It's like I have tried to play it and I can do it really slowly. How does somebody sit down and think of those chords? I sat down two or three days ago and I sat down trying to the only word I could come up with was avant-garde, which mm-hmm. doesn't really that's such a broad term. No, but I think that that's a good one though. Next one, Brian Ferry. Mm. Slave to Love, which is I mean, this is right out of a Goonies soundtrack song. <laughs> I do I do believe that it was actually used in nine and a half weeks. So. There you go. See? <laughs> yeah, I I do believe this one really speaks to the romantic in me. It's mm-hmm. it's very much about giving in completely to love and not being able to fight it and not being able to resist. Yeah. I really have an affinity for unique male voices that are, I guess, kind of buttery. It's not really croony. No. You're not thinking, you know, Sinatra or Buble or something like that, but it does have its own. Sort of, uh, sort of like melodramatic, but it, but at the same time, the foundation of it is, is that it's this smooth. Yeah. It's some sort of comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Calming. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Yeah. Next one. Everybody knows and loves the song. I don't think the artist anymore gets as much recognition as he should, but Peter Gabriel, Mm -hmm. Peter Gabriel is a massive influence for me. I, love anything Peter and actually Evil Jimmy who is another member of this mm-hmm. podcast he loves Peter Gabriel too that's which is funny surprising he, right he is <laughs> does not seem like a Peter Gabriel t- he mm-hmm. loves Peter Gabriel wow there will be a lot of Peter Gabriel talk on this podcast at some <laughs> point you know I'm realizing as we go through these because I had kind of forgotten <laughs> what I sent you which what is you embarrassing <laughs> but I'm realizing that romance or the idea of yeah. romance plays so heavily into... You really want John Cusack outside your window holding up a oh boombox. Oh, boy. <laughs> so I, I'm also going to admit that Say Anything is my favorite movie of all time. So they, which, that's not a surprise. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, man. That's a great I'm song. A Libra, you know, like I, I'm, I'm ruled by Venus. And so <laughs> this Libra tendency to... Always be in love or be tragically out of love or pursuing unrequited love. I love, love, love that album. But Peter Gabriel is another one of those people for me who pushed the envelope and who was always reaching outside of what the typical was. And whether that was visually, I mean, you remember when the Sledgehammer video came out? I don't know how old you are, but I remember seeing that on MTV and just being like, what? Well, in his live shows, like, have you seen oh, the, any of yeah. his? Jesus, yeah. that guy was insane. And again, it's it's choosing musicians who 
are of the utmost. I mean, you've got Manu Caché on drums and he worked with Paula Cole and then mm-hmm. he brought in that whole African drum, yeah. that band that came in with him and, and worked with him on that live tour. And he didn't just say, okay, I do pop. Yay. Here's and my song. Here's, yeah, our, he, here's our band. Here, he yeah. figured out how to create art out of art. Next one is, this was one I had not heard yet. Extremely intriguing sound the sugar cubes uh, motor crash which is like i wrote down bangles meets bjork meets extremely early duran duran that's um pretty great because it is bjork what yeah <laughs> i'm i'm actually so happy right now because <laughs> i got to blow my mind yeah, i got to do that yeah that was really fun i love bjork Um, but I don't know that much about her beyond a, she has two albums that I'm, I just love. Which ones? What's the one with Joga and what the one that came out in 97? Homogenic. Homogenic. Oh, I love that album. Yes. Yes. And then what's the one before that had like human behavior? That was debut and there's one in between there. The debut was like really early. How did you find the sugar cubes? Like was this? (laughs) My family moved around a lot and one day in Ottawa, wandered into this used bookstore that had that bin and saw the cover. It was called the sugar cubes and it was this like lime green cover with all these sort of crazy pictures on the front. It was very, very late 80s, early 90s, and it was like a dollar. Went and got it. Listened to it till it broke. Because of her voice, obviously, like she has that voice that you just cannot escape. It had this elation to it and singing very happily about watching a car accident. And I was like, how can this happen? I think I was 15 (laughs) when I heard it for the first time. I get that. Kind of a whole new way of looking at writing music that you never would have thought. Mm -hmm. It's not all brooding artists. I mean, let's talk about our next one, who was just well known for peppy, poppy, happy, everything in the Smiths, right? <laughs> <laughs> if Morrissey is known as for good. one thing, the Nailed next it. one is uh, William It Was Really Nothing by the Smiths. Mm-hmm. I love this song. I've, you do? I, oh, yes. This <laughs> song is amazing. I'm not a massive Morrissey guy. No, no, me either. But there are certain Morrissey Smith songs that are just freaking brilliant. Mm-hmm. I've seen I've seen them in concert. I think three times. Yeah, three times. Oh wow! PNW people can probably relate to this more than other people. But I also lived in England, so very similar weather where it's that. Yeah. You know, oh my gosh! All the time with the gray and the rain and all the stuff. The Smiths lends itself to. <laughs> Drinking in a dark bar at two o'clock on a Thursday, like (laughs) just giving up. Okay, this week is over. It's done. You know, it's (laughs) that's the feeling. It's the visual imagery, like the rain falls hard on a humdrum town and this town has dragged me down. You know, you just work your ass off all the time and it still doesn't matter because you're just getting pounded in the ground by life around you. And then, I mean, finally in this song and in most Smith songs for me, Johnny Marr just kills it. Yeah, It's it's yep. that common thread of a Smith's sound. Um, next one, this is another one that is going to be have to be multiple episodes about. Mm-hmm. In terms of artists and we've talked about artists that are artists artists Mm. i think she's probably one of the most underrated artists of all time she's 
should be talked about a ton and she was in the eighties, but she isn't anymore. And, mm. uh, I'm talking about Annie Lennox and oh, God. the Arrhythmics. You put, there must be an angel on here. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you follow her on Instagram. I do. Um, I don't. she cares a lot about a lot of different causes and she cares so much about humanity, you know, mm-hmm. and totally underrated, but she's a person who is put on this earth to be a positive, shiny light. Maybe that's the way I'm going to look at it from now on is from what you just said, it makes sense. And she probably doesn't give a shit that she probably doesn't want to be famous for music. I think she's one of those artists that is so highly respected. I don't think, and anybody can correct me if I'm wrong at any time, but I don't think she's ever had a negative connotation attached to her. Like there's never been a scandal from Annie Lennox. There's never been something where you go, really? She did that? She's awesome. Next one is the one that I think out of all these, when I listened to this, I was like, yeah, this is where I can see Carrie getting her vibe from. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, Sour Times by Portishead. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I'm just, I see the theme here. This is like going to a really good therapy session (laughs) where all of a sudden all the light bulbs turn on and you're like, oh, this is me. Lay back on your couch and tell me how you feel, Carrie. This is who I am. This is why I'm here. (laughs) It's unadorned, Mm -hmm. pure, honest interpretation of an emotion. Yes. No vocal gymnastics, you know, conveying that emotion through the voice and not dressing it up. Beauty in the in the despair. We have one more. Oh, there's only one? Well, there's two, but one of them we're not going to talk about and I'll tell you why. Oh, you're going to kill me. Ricky Lee Jones company. I think out of the all of them this was one of the two that I had never heard. Oh, you're uh, kidding. Com- I heard it when I was 18. I heard it in the company of someone who was very imp- important to me. Tragic love story. This song was so representative of that. I don't know. Like, do you think your listeners will have will have heard it? No. Okay. Because I will get like three messages or emails <laughs> after saying that. And like, fuck you. I've heard that. Mink, but, <laughs> I, heard that. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I don't want to presume that everybody knows this, but these lyrics are just, uh, they speak to me so deeply. I'll remember you too clearly, but I'll survive another day. Conversations to share when there's no one there. I'll imagine what you'd say. That's good. I can't even. And, you know, <laughs> she goes on and like, so now you're going off to live your life. You say we'll meet each other now and then, but we'll never be the same. And I know I'll never have this chance again. Not like you. <laughs> and so it's so like, you, I know she's in her forties, but she's still got it. Um, <laughs> one more thing that I want to bring up, but we're not really going to talk about. And then one more question. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to let you get back to your evening. The other one that you had written later on and you had (laughs) said, holy crap, I forgot about this. Why didn't I mention this in the first place? Was Pet Sounds Mm -hmm. by the Beach Boys. Now, here's the thing. (laughs) This is me hoping that you will come back someday because Pet Sounds is probably one of the most renowned influential albums of all time for any musician, Uh right? Yeah. I have never sat down and listened to Pet Sounds. Oh. So, Something just happened in my stomach. Exactly. Like, I feel so sad for you. So at some point in the future, I want you to come back on when we do a Pet Sounds dissection. Oh my gosh. And talk to me about it. Yes, please. Come on now. 
You've never heard it front to back. I mean, I've heard, no, I, of course I've heard. Yes, the we've songs, all heard but, singles. But no, yes. I've never sat down with Pet Sounds. Yes, the Pet Sounds, the one where if you're talking to any musician, they're gonna want to talk about Pet Sounds for an hour. <laughs> I've never sat down and listened to that album. This is so exciting to me because. <laughs> Because there have been certain albums in my life where I've said that same thing and it's one extreme or the other. It's either like, uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't watch that and that was probably a good choice. Or it's like, (laughs) what? Where have I been my entire (laughs) life? And I have this feeling that for you, Pet Sounds would be the where have I been my entire life. And Uh, I I think you're right. Not just because it's brilliant in pretty much every way but because when you want to use the words avant-garde mm-hmm. i mean this is a person who went into the studio and <laughs> coconuts and jingle yeah. bells and all the things like all the all the crazy contraptions that that okay yeah we don't even have i mean i could talk all night about pet sounds. <laughs> i figured so there that's why i brought that up the way i did I have one more question for you, Carrie. Great. In our talks, I discovered that your second least favorite song of all time is Kokomo <laughs> by the aforementioned Beach Boys, mm-hmm. which begs the question, well, actually a two-parter question. Number mm-hmm. one, why do you hate Uncle Jesse from Full House? And number two, <laughs> what is your least favorite song of oh, all time? Oh, so, okay. Uncle Jesse... Um, official Beach Boy member for what, like a year? I think a year. Yeah. A year. Yeah. I'm going to take the only pass that I'm allowed on this, on this okay. pod on that, <laughs> because I don't want to uh, isolate my audience. I don't, I okay. don't want to. <laughs> it's not like smells like teen spirit or something like that. You're right. It? I know. I'm wimping out. I'm really no, wimping it's out okay. on this. <laughs> you, really, you don't have to answer. <laughs> okay. So um, uh, <laughs> let's see. Um, this is your mistake. You told me Kokomo is your second least favorite. You knew I was going to. Honestly, I didn't even think of it. Now I feel yeah. really dumb. <laughs> you um, should have known. I'll just be dead honest. And whoever I lose uh, as a follower, I lose. That's okay. But. My least favorite song of all time is The Little Drummer Boy. <laughs> oh, that's not... The Little Drummer Boy. That's not that bad. I Come don't on. People, people I, love I mean, that song. Carrie, I don't think there's a lot of super righteous evangelicals listening to this podcast. I truly are, hope there are. <laughs> the educational value <laughs> is through the roof. I thought you were going to say like Beethoven's fifth or something and... You're like, well, now we got to figure out what's going on. I know. Little I guess it's a boy, bit anticlimactic because, yeah, it is a terrible Christmas song, but it's all about the fakeness of it. We don't need to get into religion, but I'm sorry. Let's just let's just look at the nuts and bolts of this situation. <laughs> if you're in a barn and you have a baby on hay and an old ass husband who's like, oh, I don't know how this happened, whatever. <laughs> and then some dumbass kid with a drum comes in he's like i'm not sure what to do what should i do and then they're like just play your drum and it's like do you not understand like a that's logistically impossible that some like kid with a drum just just wandered into this barn but b it's a baby and a woman who just had a baby on hay this might be the best 
monologue ever <laughs> on this podcast. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I've never had a kid. I, I never popped one out. I don't know. I'll take the bullet for you and say that, uh, yeah, Carrie, like 92% of Christmas songs kind of suck. <laughs> 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 Most of them know. are not I'm... great. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie, you are a delight. You are so easy to talk to. You're Aww. so down to earth. The album is great. I'm really excited for the next one. Thank you so much. Well, for... I really just need to say thank you because I'm not kidding. I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. This is such an honor to come on. <laughs> this pod. When I met you guys, I didn't know anything about you. I'd never heard of you. And then I went and started listening. I, I did a deep dive. I went to <laughs> episode one and started at the beginning and went all the, I've listened to every single episode and what you guys do, wherever it ends up being, whether it's one of you or three of you or four of you, or just you and Sven or however it ends up, what you guys have done is not only educating people about music that they might not ever have heard, but it's providing a non-politically correct or socially correct view on the world that isn't, it's not doing that forcefully or intentionally. It's not like you guys are setting out to say, this fucking sucks. You're saying <laughs> things that are actually relatable to so many people, saying the things that are in our heads that we can't say on a podcast because we don't have a podcast because it's so much goddamn work and we will never sleep yes. again. But you guys manage to be the like Hans and Franz of the podcast world. <laughs> and it is a delight to listen every week. I look forward to Monday morning because I can listen to you guys. And to be asked to be on the show is, you know, I do interviews a lot these days and it's fun, but this... Is like it's above the bun. I don't know. Nobody can see the bun, but it's high. It's the, like, the, the bun is hair. high. The it's, bun is high tonight. It's high tonight. The bar upon which you guys rest is above the bun. That's the nicest compliment I've ever gotten. Thank you so much, <laughs> Carrie. Uh, that was beautiful. Everybody, join us next week. It's going to be Evil Rachel and I talking about one of my favorite albums of all time. The self-titled debut of the Gorillas. Dang. Right? Very good album. This was Carrie Kirkland. Carrie Kirkland, uh, we love you so much. Uh, everybody go to CarrieKirkland.com at Carrie Kirkland Music. The album is Wild as the Wind. It's terrific. If you are a lover of sitting in a nice, comfy chair with a scotch and chilling to an album, it's not gonna get better than this. Carrie, thank you so much. Thank you, David. You guys are the best. Thank you. Good night, everybody. I'm driving fast now. Don't think I know how to go slow. Oh, where you at now? I feel around. There you are. So cool these engines, calm these jets. I ask you how hard can it get And as you wipe off beads of sweat Slowly you say, I'm not there yet I know I don't know you But I want you so
de 